Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. One way you can help others live a transformed life in Christ is by liking this podcast and giving a review. This way, others will discover us. If you haven't done so already, subscribe so that you won't miss our weekly updates. Today, we begin studying the life of Joseph with a new series titled, Living with Integrity. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Today we begin a new series of messages called Living with Integrity. And the series is a survey of the life of Joseph, who faced mistreatment, violence, temptation, and imprisonment in a hostile land, yet he lived with integrity by faith. Now what does integrity mean? Give me a definition. Who knows? I heard mumbling. I didn't hear anything articulated. Doing the right thing. Say that louder, Chris. Doing the right thing when no one watching. That's a good one. Anybody else? Who said? Honesty. I think honesty is the one that surfaces most frequently. And honesty is an expression. But it's not equal to integrity. Integrity is a broader term. And uh, it's characterized by what Chris just said. Doing the right thing when no one's watching. But it actually means soundness. Wholeness. Completeness. And it's referring to wholeness, completeness of moral principle and character. For a Christian... Character for a Christian, integrity refers to a consistency between what we say we believe. I gave you a sheet of paper and I said, okay, write down what you believe. Everything you believe about your faith. And then the question is, is there a consistency between what you've just written down or what you say you believe and what you show, how you live? What you put into practice. In other words, is there an agreement between beliefs and behavior? Because integrity shows those two utterly consistent. So as we begin, reflect on yourself. Does what you say you believe control your life, your behavior? Today's message is entitled Resentment. Now, what is resentment? You got an idea for that? Bitterness. Yeah, bitterness is probably a form of resentment. It's actually resentment intensified. It becomes bitterness, which then later becomes depression very often. But resentment is a feeling of anger or displeasure about someone or something unfair. But let me qualify it. Anger itself, anger is really a reaction. It's an automatic response to a situation. Resentment, although it has an element of anger, resentment requires dwelling on these past unpleasant events. And therefore experiencing being affected and controlled by them continually. You may get angry over a situation. 
That's not resentment. Resentment is when you keep turning back to that. And you keep rehearsing it. Maybe even becoming victimized by it. The theme verse from Genesis chapter 37. To have had a cough for months. Genesis 37 verse 3. We'll be in chapter 37 today. In this book available at Brookwood, it's on page 33. The theme verse I've selected is verse 3 that says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Anybody think that's a good idea? And it will always result in resentment. Always result in resentment. Several characteristics from this passage. Resentment first results from favoritism. Begin at verse 2. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, wives, Bilhah. Bilhah was his wife's, Rachel's, handmaiden or servant and her sons were named Dan and Naphtali and Zilpah. Zilpah was the handmaiden or the servant of what other wife? Leah. Leah and the sons names were Gad and Asher. So in other words Jacob had 12 sons by four different women and they all lived in the same house. Sound harmonious to you? No. But Joseph reported to the father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, perhaps these were actions that needed to be reported. Perhaps Joseph was sent to watch his brothers and report. That that would be a bad plan, and it would certainly create conflict among these brothers. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Some of us become a, a bit more indulgent in our old age, I think. What do you think, Roland? And it's true that it's possible that some people's grandchildren get more sweets in their grandparents' house, particularly when their mother likes them to eat whole foods, whatever in the heck whole foods are. I don't know if that means they're round. I don't, organic, I don't know. What is that? Anyway, they seem to find candy in our house, but anyway... But Jacob's advanced age, he wasn't the grandfather, he was the father, but he was old. And the fact that Joseph was the son of Jacob's favorite wife, whose name was what? Rachel. Jacob was fooled into marrying Leah. He wanted to marry Rachel. Read Jacob's story because it really does explain a lot of his behavior with his own sons. 
But because of these reasons, not only his advanced age, but also because Rachel was the mother of Joseph and she had not been able to bear children until she was older and he was much older. So those things may have motivated his favoritism, his indulgence. But it didn't excuse the fact that he preferred one son over the others and he showed it openly. Continue in verse 3. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph. A beautiful robe. What's the King James call it? Coat of many colors. Joseph in the technicolor dream coat. We don't know what it actually means. There's a Hebrew word that's not translated literally coat of many colors, but it is seen in other places and it seems to refer to a a robe for for royalty or for someone that has an elite status. It's a very long road, richly ornamented. It has long sleeves. And so Joseph received this robe but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them and obviously they knew it they couldn't say a kind word to him so see this robe now think about these are shepherds why do you give a shepherd a richly ornamented robe down to his ankles and down to his wrists Because you don't intend for him to tend sheep. The other brothers all wore these short tunics. Sleeveless, kind of rough, made out of hemp. Because they were, you know, they were out in the fields. They were wrestling sheep, picking them up, pulling them out of briars. They needed freedom of movement. They didn't need these long garments that would get caught up in briars and covered with mud. So what this says to the brothers is... This one, Joseph, he's not going to have to labor in the fields the way you guys are. Now, how would that make them feel? This robe may have even symbolized that Joseph was going to be seen and treated as the firstborn son, even though he was the 11th son born, which meant he would receive a double portion of his father's inheritance, and he would be regarded as the manager, the overseer, the leader of all the other sons instead of working under them. You ever had someone elevated above you that wasn't qualified to be above you? Had less experience? Well, intensified, and that's what's happened here. And it's by the Father. It's obvious that Jacob's poor parenting created conflict among his own children. See, if children believe they're treated unfairly, if they think that they've been compared unfavorably, anger arises. And anger prolonged leads to envy, and it results in resentment. As these negative experiences are remembered, and they become rehearsed, See, what our parents think of us 
forms our identity. Sometimes a child misinterprets the parent's intent. But whatever your parent thought of you or what you thought that your parent thought of you, particularly, you know, your father, we looked at at, uh, the fatherhood of God. It forms our identity. If you have a child and this child thinks, I don't have any talent. I'm a loser. Or the child may think, I'm very talented. I'll be very successful. That, that comes from the way they're treated as small children, and it becomes built into their own identity. Now, Joseph wasn't completely innocent in this. He was 17 years old, old enough to know better, but he contributed to his brother's hostility toward him. Verse 5. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low to mine. You say, sounds like my brother. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. But think about this, it intensified their hatred just because this teenage boy told them about a dream. So they already resented him. They were looking for anything. I think he probably couldn't say anything or do anything that they wouldn't be furious over. But why did he tell them? Why did he tell them? Was he naive? Come on, y'all. Why? You know people. You know human nature. He wanted to lord, them, lord it over them. He was really demeaning them, in other words. So he was just, you feel like he was displaying arrogance here. Well, at the very least, he was extremely unwise. Maybe he said, you're not going to like me. I'm going to dominate you one day. Verse 9, it continues. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. And you know, now when he said that, how did they fail? Oh, gosh. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. There were 11 of them, remember. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph... His father wondered what the dreams meant. Remember, Jacob had had dreams from God as well about animal husbandry with sheep and goats was one, but also the stairway to heaven, remember, when he was asleep with his head on a rock. So Jacob knew that God would speak, but but Joseph didn't know for sure this was 
foretelling of the future. We do because we know the story. But they wouldn't have known that. He just enjoyed maybe lording over them. Maybe he thought they would like him if he had something interesting to say. And he was just short-sighted and naive. These dreams were from God. But should he have announced them? Was he trying to impress them or was he trying to demean them? Or had he become so self-centered from his father's indulgence that he didn't even consider how his brothers would feel? How his father would feel about these dreams? Integrity in family life requires valuing each person as made in the image of God and showing sensitivity and awareness of each one's unique importance, unique characteristics, regardless of superficial differences in talent, in beauty, in athletic ability, in intelligence. Now look at what our culture has done to us in terms of the way we value our own children. We are now in this visual culture. And the people who are prized, who are valued, who are celebrated are those who can perform on air, on screen. They have, they have talent to dance, to sing, to, to catch a ball, to, to do something they, or to just be photographed. <laughs> we'll see if I can make it in the Instagram world. It's amazing to me. They always stand on their... Why do they always stand on their tiptoes? To be taller? Haven't y'all noticed that? I've seen it. Women are always standing on their tiptoes. What does it do? Well, y'all are laughing, but we look at these people like they're somebody. You're a fool. What are you doing there on your tiptoes? Or worse, you got on a bikini and, and eight-inch heels. <laughs> but we've been seduced by this culture into valuing this sort of foolishness. And here's the greatest price. The child with deep faith. The child with moral strength. The child with a sense of sacrificial kindness, thoughtfulness. Where do they get praised? There's no, there's no public forum to praise that child. And that's the child most like Christ. And so we're celebrating people over attributes that have nothing to do with Christian values. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I believe the best thing that could happen to our culture is for the entire internet to crash, to melt away.
because it's, it's created the wrong value system in us. Let's be honest. People that can catch balls are making tens of millions of dollars a year. What, does, what sense does this make? It's the wrong value system for us as believers. It's the wrong value system. But we have to deliberately, deliberately recognize and make sure that every person in our family or in our circle of contacts, in our church, and I urge you, come back to church. Let's get back in our relationships and influence each other and help each other to feel significant. Praise the person who is charitable, who is sacrificial, who serves who loves well, those are the things that should be praised. Resentment also rationalizes mistreatment. Verse 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Drop to 14. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron, about 50 miles away. Now the next few verses say that they moved about 13 miles further away to Dothan. But drop to verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming... They recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, what'd they do? What'd they do? Somebody say it loud. Was that their first reaction? When they first saw him, the thought was, let's kill him. Was that the first time they had thought that way? Had they more likely been sitting around the fire talking about each one, what each one would do to him if they got their hands on him? This was not unrehearsed. That wouldn't have been the first thing they had to say as soon as they saw him. They made plans to kill him. And look what they said beginning at verse 19. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, which was a a deep hole cut usually into limestone so that it would hold water. Rainwater would fill it and it would, you know, hold uh, water for drinking. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. See, the brother's hatred is evident. Upon seeing him far from home, immediately they plan to kill him. But when Reuben, now Reuben is the firstborn son. Apparently the one that looks like Joseph is going to replace. Now I'll tell you this in the background. Reuben has deeply offended the father. You can read that in earlier chapters. So maybe he was trying to get back in his father's good graces. Maybe as the firstborn he just was trying to accept some responsibility for leading them. But here's what he did. He came to Joseph's rescue when he heard of their scheme. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? 
let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. I mean, would that lessen the guilt? But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. I'm not sure how he would take him back without the father punishing all of them. But was Reuben a man of integrity? Why not? Why or why not? What do you think? Was he a man of integrity? Why not? Right. Because he did not confront his brothers. He did not step in front of them. Redirect them. You know, integrity requires speaking sometimes. We think that we're Christians by saying nothing, and sometimes perhaps our witness is seen, but sometimes we must speak. And particularly, we must speak when something so unjust is occurring before our eyes. Verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Does that surprise you? That was the first thing they did? They hated that robe, didn't they? It symbolized everything they hated about him. But here's my other question. Why'd you wear it? I mean, this is a a foolish, if not an arrogant young man. You knew they resented you. You knew they hated this robe. And here you go, striding in to see them by now 65 miles from home. He didn't think they would kill him. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, Genesis 42, 21 says that Joseph pleaded for his life. So he may have been crying out for mercy the whole time once they've grabbed him, torn off his robe, thrown him in this hole that he cannot climb out of. And so his voice may have been crying in the distance, please help me, please forgive me, please don't leave me here. And they looked up with him crying in the background, I think. And they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah, the fourth oldest, son of Leah, said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We have to cover up the crime." Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So in other words, let's don't kill him. Let's make a little money on this. Do you see how far this resentment is? They would consider themselves merciful for selling him instead of killing him. And they'd get some change in their pouches. Resentment allows you to rationalize 
to justify mistreatment, cruelty, even murder of someone you are convinced is causing you pain. Someone who you have come to identify as your enemy. When you entertain anger towards someone for long enough and you keep rehearsing it, you keep turning this person's offense over and over in your mind, you keep discussing it with others as these brothers did, what happens is you lose your objectivity and you come to see this offender as deserving of the most terrible treatment. You know, the brothers likely spent their time around the fire speaking of their hatred for Joseph, bragging about what each one would do to him. But likely, none of them would have done it individually. What we see here is a mob mentality. And we see it in our culture today. There's communicated a common hatred of a perceived enemy. And what happens is that unity gets developed as the people coalesce around this common resentment, this common bitterness, this common hatred. But what happens is when a group comes to an agreement of a common antagonism toward the same object, the morality of the individuals becomes diminished. You ever sat in a group at work and they're talking about something terrible and describing someone in a way that no Christian should ever use and you sit silently and get brought into it. Folks, we must be wary of the current cultural divisions we're experiencing. People are separated by party, by race, by economic class, by vaccination status, for goodness sakes. And unfortunately, what I see happening is there's this, this coalescence around certain issues. And these people are with me, and those people are against me. And we can become desensitized by people who are different about one of these opinions. And once we can view them as different from us, it allows not only our gossip, not only our slander, but it can creep into mistreatment. It can end up in violence. Folks in our nation, we've seen violence across this nation that has been rendered against people who didn't even know each other. But someone is characterized by some classification, economic status, race, some classification that then justified the cruelest of treatments. Do you think those attitudes are acceptable for any Christian? Well, we need to scour our, our minds and hearts, don't we? Jesus said, love your enemies. 
And he's talking about enemies. But these brothers had lost all sensitivity and compassion towards a 17-year-old boy. He was foolish. He was arrogant, probably. He was self-centered, perhaps. He probably would have had an Instagram page (laughs) with his robe. But it caused them to want to kill him. You understand this? I want you to feel this. Why? 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 Why would they kill him? Because he made them feel... What's the word? Inferior. He made them feel inferior. So he's worthy of death. Well, I wouldn't kill anybody. Well, I don't know. There's a certain passage that Jesus said. That calling someone a fool or treating them angrily is the same as murder. Did they really want to kill him? I don't think so. I don't think so. Individually. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 22 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. How do you think the brothers felt as the caravan pulled away with Joseph tied up, dragged behind the camel? Did they regret it? Were they relieved? Were they happy he was gone? Not sure. But coming back to each of us, Have I, have you labeled someone as different than you and therefore worthy of mistreatment? You see how easy it is to come in? Resentment resorts to deceit also. Verse 29. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will I do now? You see, as the firstborn, we don't know, I don't, you know, like I said, he had offended his father, maybe His motivation was trying to make his father look at him more favorably. Maybe as the firstborn, he said, I've got some responsibility to rescue this. But he didn't confront the others. Was he just trying to fit in? Folks, have we tried to fit in with the wrong people who had the wrong attitudes, who had the wrong lifestyle, who had the wrong opinions. But we didn't want to be left out. We didn't want to be pushed away. We didn't want to be not invited. 
We didn't want to be not included. Don't raise your hand, but anybody find themselves there? When you had an obligation to speak for integrity's sake. And folks, where this culture is, do you know there's about 70% of America, 65 to 70% of America claims to be Christian. You know that, right? Everybody knows that. This morning as I drove in, uh, a man was talking and he was saying that there was revival in Iran today. There's obviously, we know, revival going on. It's the spread of the gospel in China in much of other places in Asia. And he said that Asians are now sending Christians, they believe their calling is to begin to evangelize, guess who? Americans. And 65 or 70% of us are Christians. And the Chinese and Asians, Southeast Asians are coming to evangelize us. We've lost our convictions. We've lost our edge. And I don't mean edge by being mean. I mean edge by, by being sharp, complete, having integrity and standing. Because you know what? A country of 70% Christian doesn't need evangelists from other countries. The only way that's necessary is if we have grown silent. And we have closed our mouths about not only faith, but morality, decency, justice. We can't do this anymore. We cannot do this anymore. Did Reuben just lack the integrity to lead? You can see in what he did next. It shows really where he is because he conspires with his brothers to cover their sin by deceiving their father, which reveals their resentment toward him. Resentment probably don't need to say this, you already gather this, but resentment is always self-centered. You did something to me. And it really doesn't care about anybody else. Now this group may have gathered because they all shared the resentment. But each one wants to protect himself, his own interest, his own feelings. And verse 31 Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their fathers. Did you catch that? Did they take it? What did they do, Hatham? Who heard it? What did they do? They sent it. They didn't take it themselves. They found someone to deliver it. To deliver the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Another scam. See, they distanced themselves from the whole thing. And they sent someone, maybe a servant, to claim that he found this where the shepherds were. And it looks like that robe that that your son wore. Do you recognize this? Imagine the deception. They sent someone to create the impression 
that this stranger had found it. Verse 33. Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. Look at the next one. His family all tried to comfort him. The very ones that sold his son patted him on the back. And I think the deceit may be deepest there and the pretense and the hypocrisy since they were the causers of the pain. But he refused to be comforted. Well, go to my grave to Sheol, the place of the dead, mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. You know, had they become so hardened to sin that they felt no guilt, no compassion for the grief of their father, do you think you can get so hardened you don't feel any pain from wrongs you do? Who thinks that? Let me see your hands. You think you can get so hardened? Yeah. Scripture, 1 Timothy 4.2, clearly says people's consciences can become dead. Another more literal translation, NIV, is they can be seared as with a hot iron. So they feel nothing anymore. The brother's resentment motivated cruel deceit toward their brother and their father. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Don't raise your hands. I don't want to identify you, but I want us to identify ourselves. Do you need to rid yourself of resentment? As I've been... Bringing, <clears throat> delivering this message, has God exposed a face to you? Has he brought back a memory, a painful memory? Resentment is always self-destructive. It will harden you against sin. It will separate you from the presence of God. It will separate you from other people. Because we shield ourselves in this, in this cloak of resentment. Colossians 3.13 says this. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. See, sometimes we're okay forgiving someone if they accidentally do something. But this verse is talking about deliberate Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. You can almost put the word deliberately there. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. That's integrity. That's how you become whole. Complete. In Christ. 
I just want to take a, a moment to do just a, a brief exercise. Close your eyes, please. Bow your heads. Don't look around anywhere. I don't want to identify, embarrass, ridicule anybody. But if you're someone and you know that this resentment has been swirling around in you, maybe for decades, I want you to look up. You don't have to make too many motions. Just look at me, and I'm going to guide you. I want you to imagine that person, that group, that day when this event happened that spawned the resentment that has stayed within you perhaps for many, many years. Ask God to show you how it's affected you. Ask Him to forgive you for the resentment that you've maintained. Communicate first with Him. Clean the, clean the relationship between you and Christ. Because that's sin and it gets between you and Christ. Now ask Him to enable you to forgive this person or persons. And you decide, you determine today to do it. Father, you know the state of our minds and hearts. You know the ones who have raised their faces and you know the ones who didn't but should have. Lord, I pray that you would convict us to a place of repentance that you would forgive us of the hatred that we've maintained. But Lord, I pray that you would enable us to forgive the person who deliberately or not deliberately has offended us. Enable us to forgive. And Lord, make us free in Christ. Help us, Lord, to walk and to live integrity with integrity. Help us to become whole, complete in your Son, Christ, in whose name we pray. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on the Living with Integrity series. If you like what you hear, leave a review so others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. To get connected at Brookwood, email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.